Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Uh, don't miss tomorrow's episode. It's part three of the Sunday shows at 50. Uh, this week, we take a look at On The Record. So John Humphreys, Jonathan Dimbleby, Tony Blair, Peter Mandelson, David Aronovich. It's a cracking episode, so you can catch that on the podcast tomorrow. Today, though, we're sort of winding the clock back to December 2018, when on this podcast, I went to the Foreign Office and interviewed then Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt about what he feared was the decline of democracy, the end of the post-war settlement and the rise of strongman politics. And it slightly all panned out a bit like that. So I'm joined again today by Jeremy Hunt, looking back at that and the situation in Ukraine, how Britain responds to Russia, but also new polling, which shows about a third of people in Britain think there's a risk of um, the decline of democracy here too. So that's coming up in uh, just a moment. But first, as ever, we kick off with our economist panel. Normally on a Thursday, it's night at the Marriott, but India Knight and James Marriott are away. Instead, we've got Times columnist and Times radio presenter Hugo Rifkin and from the Sunday Times, Rosman Irwin. Hugo, we've got another little bit of peace talks happening uh, between Ukraine and Russia and Turkey today. Do you, is it realistic, do you think, that we could strike some sort of deal with Putin at this stage? No, I mean, not at this stage, but that doesn't mean not, not ever. The, I mean, the, the problem... The, the problem we have is that the war's gone too badly for Putin so far for him to want for him to want to end it. I know that might sound counterintuitive, but because it's been disastrous, uh, you know, militarily disastrous, Russia needs to sort of show for its own face-saving reason that that if it can't benefit from what it's done, then Ukraine really, really needs to have suffered. Hence, the sort of the horrible devastation that we're seeing. So, I, I, I mean, I, I can I can see how they might. You know, you hope they might agree to things like peace, cor- peace uh, to, to sort of humanitarian corridors and things like that. But I don't. I mean, I I, I wouldn't imagine that things are going to come come to end come to an end terribly soon. No. Well, what do you think, Rosman? It's an interesting point that Hugo makes, isn't it? That actually, it's been going so badly for Putin, he can't be seen to be retreating. 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that's obviously to do with the domestic side as well and, and keeping um, the Russian people on side. Um, I thought Max Hastings' column um, was very interesting on this. Um, he's looking back at, at the Cold War and that dreadful moment in 1962 um, when, you know, U.S. forces invade the possibility of U.S. forces invading Cuba um, and Kennedy and Kennedy's decisions and, and, and the difficulty faced where you had um, uh, soldiers and, and generals saying, well, yeah, we could go to nuclear war and him realising quite how horrific this is. And the rather sort of depressing but, but probably right conclusion that, um, that Max Hastings draws is while uh, it's more difficult to strike a bargain with Putin, partly because he uh, is sort of losing clutch of reality. Um, at the same time, eventually, we probably will need to strike some sort of bargain. It's a pretty depressing conclusion, but mm. very worth reading. What I mean, if, if, if I may, I mean, I think the, the, the other point of that is that eventually Putin is going to have to as well, because I mean, although I, although I think he'd have very little reason, or at least for his own self interest, in, in ending things anytime soon, at some point he is going to have to end things. And the way things have turned out, there is no real way of him ending things without a peace deal. And moreover, he needs to have a peace deal with somebody on the Ukrainian side who um, who is considered credible by Ukrainians. So I think, I think Zelensky himself is in a far more sort of stronger position than he was 10 days ago. But it all looks like being pretty horrible for quite a long, a long while longer, I'd have thought. I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? From, <clears throat> from both sides, they Russia thought it was going to be quick. Get in, you know, uh, the Ukrainians would roll over, welcome them in the streets, uh, possibly. That's clearly not happened. The Ukrainians are putting up more of a fight, but in doing so, they are prolonging the, you know, what is just an absolutely mm. dreadful situation. Yeah, I mean, ab ab absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's, it's a. Uh, uh, and you can, you can sort of, you can almost beginning to feel this sort of this sense from a lot of the West. The, I don't know. Maybe this is maybe this is far too cynical of me, but um, I, from for our own defensive purposes, the fact that it's dragging out in a long and nasty sense in Ukraine, the fact that Russian forces are being sort of depleted by this battle, kind of makes us feel a bit safer. Yes. Yeah. 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 What do you think, Rosman? Oh, that, that's quite cynical, isn't it? Isn't it? I think, yeah. I, I think Hugo is probably right, though. Yeah. Depressing. Um, uh, talking of depressing, uh, the situation when it comes to uh, refugees. In the last few minutes, Priti Patel has said she's she's tweaked the the process again. She said she's received assurances on security matters, whatever that means, which enable her to make change to the fa the family the Ukrainian family scheme. From Tuesday, Ukrainians with passports will no longer need to go to a visa application centre to give their biometrics before they come to the UK. Instead, so once their application has been considered and appropriate checks completed, they will receive direct notification they're eligible for the scheme and can come to the UK. So they'll be able to get permission. It basically can all be done online. They're not going to need to go somewhere and give their, their biometrics or fingerprints and so on. Um, uh, what, what do you make of this, Rosamond? The, the, the speed, the, the way that at each stage it feels like Priti Patel has been slightly dragged to uh, closer to, to where actually, actually most of the Conservative parliamentary party are as far as I can tell I mean she got a right um well in fact she didn't go did she I think it was Kevin Foster the immigration minister but he got a right kicking in the House of Commons from several Tory MPs this week um but I mean this is just slightly streamlining what was already a slightly complicated process which opens up Britain to a, a relatively limited number of people yeah absolutely and um you mentioned the kicking that they got um Julian Smith you know who was a Tory whip uh, was amongst the most powerful in saying 
that this isn't acceptable and we're, we're sort of failing in our duty. I mean, we're so far behind the rest, well, uh, the rest of Europe, uh, the members of the EU on this, that it is embarrassing and we should be doing an awful lot more. And, and you know, it doesn't feel humane, the process that we've got. It's a bit of a mess. Um, one thing that I've thought a lot this week, you know, when people have raised, you know, people outside journalism have asked, why are we so bad at this? Anyone who has dealt with the Home Office um, will say the same thing to you. There was a um, a little snippet from Playbook that was going around earlier this week, being sort of sent to loads of civil servants. I got sent it about five times, and it was people saying how Whitehall works, and it was saying, you know, the really great people go and work in the Cabinet Office. Unsurprisingly, it was my Cabinet Office sources saying that. And then, and then, basically, it said the brain dead morons end up in the Home Office. Now, obviously, I don't want to suggest everyone working at the Home Office is is useless at their jobs, but but there was a reason that was gathering steam and people had um, really sort of liked it because that's a lot of people's experience, uh, at, you know, outside the Home Office is that dealing with them is very very difficult. And as a journalist, I would um, agree with that one too. Um, you know, so as departments go. It often is one where uh, there are issues, um, but this is embarrassing and we should be doing so much better as a country. We have a duty to have a much more humane policy on this. It's weird, isn't it, Hugo, because we spent most of last summer talking about why was the Home Office so bad at processing mm. Afghans who uh, needed to come to the UK for safety and they set up a bespoke system and... And part of me thinks, well, it, surely that a bespoke system from last summer could have become the off-the-shelf system this time round. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, the shame of it. It just, it just, it just, it, it tears you apart. Look, I mean, it's, it's not like we're going to be flooded with Ukrainians. You know, would that we were. I mean, what, what amazing people Ukrainians turn, turn out to be with their, with their, their bravery and their humour and their fortitude. I mean, the more Ukrainians we could get in this country, the better, as far as I'm concerned. But look, very few, relatively, relatively few numbers of Ukrainians are going to come want to come here for any length of time compared to the millions who are going to be in Poland and the hundreds of thousands who are going to be in, in, in Germany. And just that, I mean, the least we could do is make it easy. The absolute shame of it the incompetence of it you know we're we're, we're supposed to, we're apparently doing pretty well in sending sending over military supplies for the ukrainian army uh, you hear you hear from people who are in in in, in kiev talking about that there is gratitude felt towards britain for that it shows we are capable of doing the right thing when we want to do the right thing and you look you look at the home office you look at pretty patel it's it's just it's just a stain upon us it's disgusting well, I think there's probably lots of people who would uh, agree with that. But I was even surprised, wasn't it, at PMQs yesterday, uh, Keir Starmer didn't raise this. He was talking about energy bills, which is fine. But I think that you do wonder whether there's a sort of, oh, I don't know, if you're being really cynical, you'd say, oh, well, the, you know, the Red Wall, they don't want us talking about migrants coming here. So, you know, we'll talk about, we'll talk about something else. The, there seems to be a lack of sort of moral leadership across the board on this. So, sort of yeah. make them, make actually, you know, show some leadership. Uh, make the case, you could shift public opinion rather than being entirely guided by what your focus groups are telling you. Well, look, there are people on the Conservative benches who made a powerful case for us yeah. doing better there too. So, I, you know, I think there is some consensus across politics. I'm not sure Kirstama isn't right uh, on a cynical level, though, that it is the cost of living crisis that is going to be the dominant theme you know, at the next general election, I'm sure that is a correct calculation, um, and and that that affects people's lives in a very profound way. That isn't, you know, that isn't some sort of trivial yeah. issue. Um, I do think that that's the correct calculation politically. It just, yes, we might want some moral leadership there too. 
Uh, the, the other thing I want to just flag is this: um, the the latest YouGov poll for the Times uh, has got has given Labour up again. Labour on thirty nine percent. Uh, the Tories down on 33, which seems to fly in the face of this sort of uh, Patrick McGuire wrote in the red box this morning. This sort of uh, consensus in Westminster that Boris Johnson was having a good war and he was repairing all the damage done by Partygate and so on. I'm just not sure that that's, that's necessarily the case. I don't know what you think, Hugo. No, I mean, why, why would it be the case? Why would, why would this war save him? It's not like the alternative is Jeremy Corbyn anymore. Yeah. You know, if, if, if I mean, if, if, a lot of the domestic, the the domestic understanding of what of what's going on at the moment. Britain has clearly has a problem of sort of flaky establishment capture by shady Russians, and if it does, then Boris Johnson absolutely exemplifies that. He's 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 he is the heart of the problem. So why that anything about this war would be supposedly making him look? Anyone would think anything about this war would be making him look good. It's 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 sort of ridiculous. Let alone when you when you. I mean, we were just talking about Pretty Patel. Think how recently Liz Liz Truss was in Moscow wearing a funny hat. I mean, you know that looked. <laughs> How does that look today? Yeah. You know, um, you've got, I mean, Ben Ben Wallace has 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 appeared is like appeared to be the only voice of com- of competence coming out of the government. I mean, Dominic Raab at least sometimes these days sounds like he knows what he's talking about. But I guess it's easier to find Russia on the map because it's incredibly big. Uh, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, but um, I mean, look, I, I'm not I'm not re- remotely surprised that, that that people are sort of thinking about you know cost of living rocketing up and Britain's place in the world and and, and not necessarily thinking, yup, Boris Johnson is the guy we want. I mean, you know, where have we been? And I suppose that also um, the point was when the, uh, Hugo makes about uh, you know it's no longer Jeremy Corbyn is the alternative. You know, right now our colleague Henry Zeffman is in Estonia with Keir Starmer, who's meeting British members of the NATO Enhanced Forward Presence. Um, you know, you wouldn't have caught Jeremy Corbyn doing that. In fact, right now he'd probably <laughs> be on a, he'd be on a stop the wall march. Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, the the alternative. I, I would say also the point about Boris Johnson's personal polling recovering slightly. I mean, it, it wasn't sort of not figures that you want anyway. Is that I mean, it, aren't they recovering in relation to you know he's not Putin, right? The ultimate low bar, right? It's not that actually you want to vote for him. It's that oh, he looks a little bit less bad considering who else is in the world running other countries. Um, I, there's a live poll on the Times currently, and I had a look at it just before coming on um, about whether Boris Johnson has regained our trust. Now, obviously, this is Times readers, it's a very sophisticated readership, um, and it's had about just under two thousand votes. And eleven uh, percent have said they've been impressed um, during uh, you know the, the, his handling of the Ukraine. Uh, situation. Six uh, percent never lost the faith, and a whopping eighty-three percent said no. He still needs to resign. So there we go. Uh, I thought that was quite. That, yeah, that's and quite. Also, also, it's worth mentioning that, that the reset internally within Number Ten has been a lot of, of, of very good analysis of why that isn't really working uh, very well. So it's not just um, the foreign picture. Rosman Irwin and Hugo Rifkin then. Of course, you can read them in The Times and The Sunday Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is my chat with Jeremy Hunt. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. 
With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box podcast. Now it's time for this. Is democracy under threat? I want to take you back to December 2018. In an episode of the Red Box podcast, where I sat down in the Foreign Office with the then Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt, who feared then that the march of democracy around the world was in retreat. Jeremy Hunt, here we are sitting in the amazingly grand Foreign Office where successive British Foreign Secretaries have sat for decades and decades looking out across the world and seeing the relentless spread of democracy and freedom and, and trying to sort of forward those Western values. What is it that concerns you about what's happening in the world at the moment? Well, I think we are at a tipping point now and we've had a world order that's really been a chapter in two halves since the end of the Second World War. Uh, Churchill and Roosevelt, between them, constructed probably the most successful uh, way of ordering countries in the history of humanity, which over 70 years has led to unprecedented peace uh, and essentially uh, ended the system that we've always had until that moment where might is right and big countries are free to walk into small countries. Well, in the last fortnight, we've seen that that world order has not held and one big country has walked into a smaller one. It comes as new polling suggests a third of people in Britain think a breakdown in democracy is a risk in the UK. That rises to almost half in the United States and India and even higher in places like Brazil and South Africa. From the capital riots in Washington to the return of the Taliban in Afghanistan. Are we heading for a less democratic future? What impact has the pandemic had on social and political divisions? Does the Russian invasion of Ukraine signal the end of that post-war settled world order? Well, I'm delighted that Jeremy Hunt joins me again to see how much worse things are two and a half years after we had that last conversation on this topic. Good morning, Jeremy. Morning, Matt. Um, I mean, to some extent, you were right. Back in 2018, um, we were at a tipping point and it feels like we have tipped over into something pretty awful. Well, it feels very sad to be proved right on that point. But um, very specifically, uh, one thing that has not happened since the end of the Second World War is that a country that was externally recognised and a member of the United Nations has been completely wiped off the face of the map. And that is exactly what Putin is trying to do with Ukraine. So it is a massive, massive uh, moment. And, you know, we have absolutely now got to uh, get going and make sure that democracy is secure this century. 
given the conversation we had back in 2018 and given that you, you feared that something like this was possible, is there something that Britain and the West could have done to prevent Putin doing what he's done? Yes, I think we have to be honest that uh, whilst we're all very encouraged about what's happened in the last two weeks because of the extraordinary bravery of the Ukrainians um, and, you know, President Zelensky is is the man of the moment. He's risen to his moment in history with extraordinary courage and resolve. So we all feel a bit buoyed by that. But actually, before that was the biggest foreign policy catastrophe of really the last 30 years, because we failed to respond sufficiently, you know, going right the way back to 2006 to the murder of Alexander Litvinenko in London. Uh, but then you look at the invasion of uh, Georgia in 2008, Crimea in 2014, um, and each time our lack of a sufficient response persuaded Putin that he could go further. And that's the mistake we must absolutely stop making. Uh, are there particular countries that you think could have done more? Or is it, is it you know, the, what role Britain should have played in it? Is it America, you know, particularly... When we had that conversation in the Foreign Office, Donald Trump was in the White House and was clearly much more amenable to, to Putin than lots of other, other leaders. Well, I think across the West, we were complacent after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, and as I was saying, when, we, when you interviewed me then, uh, we should have looked at the data. Uh, an organisation in the US called Freedom House measures the number of free countries across the world. And they say there's been a net decline in the number of free countries for the last 16 years, everyone of the last 60 years. And we're now in a situation where just 20% of the world's population live in fully free countries. Nearly double that live in authoritarian regimes. So um, I think this is completely winnable. I think freedom is, a, is not just the best system morally, but actually the most robust system. And I think what we've seen from the Ukrainians is that people will fight to defend it. But we've got to think really hard about how we do that going forward. And as I think you alluded to in your earlier comments, one of the things we have to do is to fix the problems in democracy at home. Because if we want to go around the world saying democracy is great, then we've got to recognise that we haven't got things right at home, either in Britain, America or most other Western countries. What does that look like? How do we fix it? You know, if you've got, what is it in this... Um... This uh, polling, which was done by Keck CNC ahead of the Munich uh, Security Conference a couple of weeks ago, 32% of people in the UK think uh, there is a risk to democracy breaking down in, in Britain. What, what, what do we need to do to fix democracy here and, and then around the world? Well, I think it's lots of things. Um, you know, you can talk to sort of the fact that people felt that the, the political elites of which I've been part have been out of touch with the concerns of ordinary people and those kind of more general concerns. But I think there's something very specific, Matt, which is about the role of technology. So what's happened uh, since the internet revolution is that social media, fake news, and the way that technology has become part of our lives has proved detrimental to democratic discourse. And we now need to think about how we can harness technology to actually improve democracy. So, for example, Switzerland has lots and lots of referendums on lots of small issues across the whole country, canton by canton. And because they ask the Swiss people what they want to do on a wide range of issues, they've created one of the most stable democracies on the planet. 
Now, technology makes that process of asking people what they want on issues as, you know, as, as relatively small as whether you want to pedestrianise your town centre. Technology makes those things much easier, and we should be using technology to enhance our democracy, uh, not allowing it to undermine our democracy. Um, given what's happened, particularly with the Brexit referendum, do you, the idea of having more votes on specific issues, um, and given the, the 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 battles that, that happened subsequently, uh, is, is there not a risk in having lots more sort of small referendums? Well, I, I accept it's probably very counterintuitive, and there are lots of people who say referendums never again. Um, but the reality is, we set up a. Um, a system of representative democracy where people like me get elected to the House of Commons and go and uh, make all the decisions for five years and then come back. And, and the thinking behind that was that uh, ordinary people can't be in command of enough details of these complicated issues to decide for themselves. So you have to leave that to the experts in Parliament. I think that's totally out of date approach. And I think people want to have more involvement in the decisions that directly affect their future. And Technology allows that to happen. So um, I would just say, uh, yes, we've all got our views on the referendums. And I think the people who uh, the referendum didn't go the way they wanted are particularly aggrieved about them. But look at the countries that do go back and ask people what they want. Uh, I think that creates a more stable atmosphere in which people feel they've got more control of their own future. So I do think we should look at that. Yes. And on the, the broader question of, you know, in the past, the, 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 the West was sort of trying to export the idea of uh, liberal democracy around the world, um, trying to encourage other countries to embrace democracy because, as you were saying, it was it was both morally the right thing to do, but also actually it could be a the stable way to run a country, actually quite good economically and so on. And then we see what happened in um, America last year. Uh, riots in the Capitol building. And you think, well, if that is what is happening in America, the, the biggest country in the world that prides itself on on its great democracy, we're not in a position to then uh, lecture other countries necessarily, are we, on the way that they run the things? Exactly. And America's got its own set of problems. Um, but in America, I think the polarisation in uh, American society is incredibly dangerous. And, you know, without a, a shared fact base... You can't have a political debate, political community. And what's happened in America is that, you know, Republicans uh, watch Republican TV, read Republican newspapers, uh, look at Republican channels on the Internet. And they live in a way in a completely different country to Democrats who, who get all their information from Democrat sources. And there isn't even agreement on the basic facts. And so that's why it's really important that you have a media that actually... Uh, arbitrates as to what the facts are, and then you can have a debate about what the right answer to address those facts is. So, yes, America's got its own issues, we've got our own issues, but fundamentally, we have a system which isn't just the freest, it gives people more control of their own destiny, it leads to prosperity, it leads to innovation. Um, and if you look at, and this is what I think Ukraine has done, it has made us see the bigger picture. Over the last 75 years, across the world, even with the conflicts we're seeing on our TV screens today, there have been fewer people killed than in uh, the previous 75 years and indeed in, than in any other period in human history. So um, what we did since the Second World War 
was we stopped fighting and we started trading with each other. And that led to an unprecedented reduction in the number of people in grinding poverty, advances in science, advances in technology. Let's not throw that all away. Um, and I want to ask you um, how when we, people are looking at Ukraine and actually I think you're right that maybe it has put some sort of lead in the pencil of Western liberal democracies and people suddenly realising actually we do maybe we've taken for granted a lot of the freedoms we've, we've had and so on. But then is it a problem if here in the UK it is a criticism of this prime minister and this government uh, that, you know, telling the truth isn't not necessarily always a priority, abiding by the rules, respecting institutions. If we want our democracy to have uh, a future and a solid basis, we need to expect more, don't we, from the people at the top of that democracy? Well, uh, of course, we need to hold our politicians to the highest of standards. But I would say that, um, you know, the way you do that is by having a, a free media that has the power to hold, to speak truth to power, to ask politicians like me difficult questions, and um, that is, we do actually have a very vibrant, very free, very robust media in this country. And I think that's a really important part of our democratic discourse. And I actually think, um, I hope you'll forgive me for saying this on Times Radio, but I think the BBC is a very important part of that democratic discourse too. And so we've got to be really careful uh, not to do what uh, what I think Donald Trump did, although he did some positive things uh, as president, but he denigrated the role of journalists a lot and he undermined people's confidence in the news that they were seeing and that I think has led to some real problems in American democracy that we need to avoid here. We've seen similar things in this country though we've seen uh, government ministers tweeting about journalists asking them questions and I'll take your point we have got a free press that's how we know about for instance the parties happening in number 10 but if ultimately the the, the the, the, the political norms that if you break the rules or you're caught telling lies, that, that has consequences. If you end up with a prime minister who doesn't think there are those consequences, there's a limit to what the, the media can do, isn't there? Um, I think that what the media does is it exposes what politicians do um, and then gives the electorate a chance to make a judgment on that when they come to uh, elections. And that's what needs to happen. What we as politicians must never do is denigrate journalists who are doing their job. Um, by all means, challenge journalists if they too are capable, I'm sure you would agree, Matt, from time to time, very unusually perhaps, of, of saying things that aren't quite true or, or, or put a slant on something. But So we, we, we're perfectly entitled to challenge what a journalist says, but I don't think we should denigrate the journalistic process because I think that is fundamentally the difference between what happens here and what happens in Russia and China. And I think we are by far the stronger for the fact that we do have that scrutiny. Um, and just on, I just want to ask you about the, the, the particular situation in Ukraine too. Um, do you think, and I know you were just in the House of Commons for uh, Priti Patel's statement, do you think the government still needs to go further in extending uh, the criteria to allow more Ukrainians come, coming to the UK? Well, I think that Priti Patel did listen to concerns raised on all sides of the House of Commons this week about the fact that uh, Ukrainians in the UK trying to get their family here uh, were being told they had to go for appointments at visa centres to give biometric details and they couldn't get those appointments and 
and so I think it's really welcome what she's announced today that they can make applications online. But this still only applies to people who have family members in the UK. It doesn't apply to people who want to come to the UK for humanitarian reasons. And I think that in a, you know, if we're going to see four or five million Ukrainians leaving the country, uh, we're not going to feel uh, that we're showing British generosity if we've only got you know, a few tens of thousands here. So I think we should do more. Um, but she did say today in the House of Commons that there would be further announcements, and, and that's what I hope we hear. Does it disappoint you that on this big question of, you know, it's, it's one of the big, clearly we're, we're providing military support, but one of the biggest things that Britain can do is provide a safe haven to Ukrainians. The, the, we're inching along, you know, Priti Patel being almost dragged to this sometimes, almost every day slightly tweaking the criteria again, um, rather than, than making, showing some sort of moral leadership in, and making a big, generous offer. Does that, does that disappoint you? There seems to be a lot of anger on the Conservative backbenchers about this. Well, I would like us to do more uh, when it comes to refugees. But um, I also think we have to recognise that the government has uh, done a lot when it comes to this crisis. You know, the first country to provide lethal aid to the Ukrainians. Uh, we've frozen three times, nearly three times uh, the number of assets as the rest of the EU combined. So we have been out in front putting together the Western coalition. Um, but I think we also now need to look forward and say, let's be honest, deterrence, which was the heart of our strategy in the Cold War, failed. Putin was not deterred from trying to march into another country. And we've now got to think, what do we do going forward? I'm afraid we need more defence spending, a closer alliance, um, a much more thought through set of responses uh, when the next incident happens, as I'm afraid it is likely to happen. Just a final couple of uh, quick questions with you. We were talking about democracy and trust in our leaders and so on. If in the next, possibly next couple of weeks, the Prime Minister is fine for breaking lockdown rules, do you think he can remain as Prime Minister? Um, look, I think that's for my colleagues in the House of Commons to make their own judgment on. I don't want to in any way minimise the seriousness of such an event were it to happen. And remember, the police haven't made their yeah. decision yet. Of course. But I do think what's happening in Ukraine does give us a, a sense of perspective. Um, there are absolutely huge things happening in the world which need our primary focus. Uh, and were he to, to leave number 10, do you still have leadership ambitions? Would you still like to be Prime Minister, restoring democracy in Britain? Well, I feel passionately about all these issues, but I think all of us who have ambitions in the House of Commons, in the Conservative Party or wherever, uh, need to put those aside and recognise that in this very, very serious international situation. We need to get behind our Prime Minister and give him every support possible in order to solve these very, very grave issues. That's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 to 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? Email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio, and we'll get you on very soon. Listener.